Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, it says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For if you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him. The chapter 3 of Colossians is going to continue on to say, therefore, when you consider the things above and you keep seeking the things above, not the stuff down here, then your perspective changes. If you keep seeking the Lord, like Jesus taught us to do in Matthew 6, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all things will be added. Paul is going to go on to say, just put your mind, set your mind on things above. Now, I like that he says, keep seeking. Keep seeking the things above. A lot of folks start off seeking the Lord. At some point in their course of their life, they seek the Lord. Maybe they were brought to church by their parents or their grandparents, and they started seeking the Lord as a youngster. You talk to some folks and they, oh, I used to go to church, or I used to see God. And the hardest part is they quit seeking God. And Paul, he's given one of the most encouraging words that we need for our faith. doesn't matter if we've been a Christian a long time or a short time. He says you've got to keep seeking the things above. doesn't say just do it once, and then once you did it, you can check the box, and you're done. Yeah, I saw God. I, I did that for a season. I'm done with that. It's not one of those you get done with projects. It's one of those projects you do ongoing. Now, why do I need to seek continually the things above? What does it do for me when I seek God and the things above and not the things down here? In our society, we have a lot of emphasis on things, getting stuff. And whenever you go after getting stuff as your focus of life, you can... Step on a lot of folks' toes, so to speak. You don't even care because you just want to get the stuff. But if you become a person like that, just given to always getting the stuff and not caring about the people, you put things above the value above people. When those people die, you go to their funeral and there's just a couple folks there. And usually it's the folks that are just waiting for the reading of the will to get the stuff from the person who died. But they're not really there because of love. For that person, they're like, I couldn't stand him. All he cared about was his stuff. You know folks that are people that care about the people in their life. They take care of the people in their life. They're always concerned. When one of those people die and you go to their funeral, boy, it's amazing how many folks turn out for their funeral. There's just a whole different feeling. That's a life to me that's well lived. When you live taking care of people over taking care of things. You put people first. But our culture isn't teaching that. And I don't think here in Colossae, where Paul's writing to, they were teaching that either. So Paul has to say, okay, guys, what are you going to put your mind on? What are you going to be thinking about? What are you going to make as important? And so he says, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand is the position of power. Now set your mind on this. This word set your mind isn't just, oh, occasionally I think about it. 
it's fix your mind. It's from the Greek. It's actually been translated back and forth both ways, but it's to rivet. Like when you fix a rivet into metal and you took the two pieces of metal and you don't put a bolt and a nut on it because you can take that apart, but rather you put a rivet through it and you pound it so that it's closed and it can't be taken apart. He says, put your mind fixed right on Christ. In other words, we keep our mind always thinking about the Lord. Now, if we do this, and we don't set our mind on the things down here, some of you will say, oh, you Christians, you're going to be so heavenly-minded, you're of no earthly good. I said, no, that's not true. It's impossible, by the way. In fact, the more heavenly-minded you are, the more earthly good you will be. The more people you will help when you have the mind of Christ. So, Paul knew what was important for us to do. Put our mind on the Lord. And then he says, the secret, the real secret of having newness of life. He sums up Romans 6, the whole chapter, in just a couple verses. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, when he's talking about that they had died, he's saying, you were baptized. And in Romans 6, he says, don't you know when you got baptized that you were joined to Jesus in two things? First, in the likeness of his death. But then three days later, what did he do? He rose. And so you too, when they pull you out of the water, symbolizes you joined him in that resurrected life. You bury the past so that when you come out of the water of baptism, now you get to start on a new page. Fresh, new, start over. Everything that got buried is in the past. And if you know this, Paul says, if you consider this with your mind, that when you were baptized, the past was laid to rest. It was put down. It's gone. It's done. Now I come out of that water to live a new life, a resurrected life. A lot of folks in this life, they don't move forward because something bad happened to them a long time ago. And they can't let it go. They're trapped by something that happened to them, and they're like, look, I just can't move on. It's like it's got a, a hold on them. Those are the ones I need to introduce to Jesus so I can get them free from that old past so they can now live in the present. And this is what Paul is talking about. You guys, he said, you've died with Christ and your life is hidden with him. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. But you don't just get to have life now. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. More abundantly. You're going to get everlasting life. So this life will be better here, but it'll be even better, right? And we get eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son, it says, he shall not die, he will have everlasting life. My spirit will move from this earthly temple, calls it, into a heavenly body that God has prepared. And that body won't have any pain. No more sorrow, no tears of sorrow, I'm thinking, I can sign up for that. The only tears in heaven are tears of joy. When we see each other again, we'll be like, I just see you. Only thing is, we won't be in these old bodies. Our new bodies will not have pain. This is Paul just reminding us. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, guess what? Not just he will be revealed, so will we. We'll be revealed with him in glory. Now, every Christian should at least hear that once in a while. Since this is the truth, since we're going to be revealed in glory, therefore, how should we live now? 
Now, this is where the rubber meets the road as a Christian. How do I do my Christian faith today? Well, here's how to do it. Verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. As dead to immorality and dead to impurity, dead to passion, dead to evil desire, dead to greed, dead to all these things, which he says they literally amount to idolatry. You've got to consider, I'm dead to those old things. Why? Because of those things, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. There will be a punishment for the ones that want to live in that lifestyle. And in them, Paul says, we also once walked in those things, but now, verse 8, you also put them aside. Put aside anger, wrath and malice and slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. You're not to live that old life anymore. That's old stuff. We bury that, it's time to move on. Look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Since we laid aside the old self with its evil practice. We're not supposed to be telling lies as Christians. And having put on a new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We're being changed now into a new person. You know the scripture, right? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, I make all things new. And there is a renewal for us, verse 11, a renewal which there is no distinction between Jew or Greek or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free man, but Christ is all and in all. There's a renewal for everyone. There's no distinction. God doesn't say only certain people can get renewed, like a special club. You've got to be a Jew or not a Jew. doesn't matter what culture, what language. All of us can be renewed. Do you think that the world needs to hear this, that there's renewal available from God to renew all of us, to put aside those crummy things like wrath and anger and malice, slander? Our world is going down the pipe with these things. I mean, we have this going on every day. And then verse 12, as those that have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, a heart of kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, this is how you forgive. Just as the Lord forgave you, that's how you should forgive. You ever heard, well, I want God to forgive me, but I don't want to forgive that person. God, forgive me all my bad stuff, but don't forget that guy. I'm not forgiving him. He's a jerk. He did me a really bad thing. What did Jesus say in Matthew's Gospel? He said after the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those that trespass against us. Thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Of the whole prayer, he doesn't elaborate about the daily bread thing, or doesn't elaborate about how hallowed means high and lifted up is God's name, that position of authority and power, he doesn't talk about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He doesn't give any more commentary about that. That's pretty self-explanatory. But what does he talk about at the end? If you do not forgive your brother, he talks about the forgiveness part. You just prayed, forgive me my sins as I forgive the guys that sin against me. What if I don't forgive the guys that sin against me? You realize you just prayed a loaded prayer, right? Forgive me as I don't forgive them. 
Then God goes, okay, I won't forgive you. See, and Jesus says, for if you will not forgive men whom you see, neither will your Father forgive you. You've got to forgive others. Forgiveness is really important. And so he says, Paul, right here, it's like he's summing up all the practical stuff of our faith. We've got to keep our mind on things above. We've got to not worry about this stuff down here. Don't put your mind on this stuff. This will just sidetrack you. And you've got to remember that you died to the old ways. All that old stuff, you buried it. It's gone. You don't need to walk anymore in anger. No more in wrath. No more in malice. No more in, in slander or abusive speech. You don't need to lie. That's old ways. All that, put it away. Because you put on a new self. And in the new self, you put on this, a heart of compassion. You put on a heart of kindness, a heart of humility, a heart of gentleness and patience. That's what you do now. This is new life. And you bear with one another and you forgive one another. Man, we have a society that isn't very good at forgiving. But he says, you forgive just the way the Lord forgave you. And when we ask Jesus to forgive us, how much does he forgive us? Everything, right? We say, Lord, forgive me. He goes, okay, forgiven. Whole thing, whole enchilada, all gone. But that's how I have to forgive others. I'm still working on this. Sometimes there's those unique individuals. They really irk me. They just come along and they just push the right button. You think, you're really testing my faith here. Because I have to forgive you and you're a jerk. And it's not so easy sometimes, is it? But Paul is going to say, make sure you forgive them the way the Lord forgave you. And beyond all these things, beyond putting on compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and forgiveness, make sure that you put on this one thing, verse 14, love. Love. Which is the perfect bond of unity. The very thing that seals the deal to make our faith beyond any other religion is that we're told to put on love. Jesus said, men will know that you're my disciple in that you have love for one another. But if you don't have love, you can be talking like this, telling all the right words, and the Bible says you're just like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Because without love, it's nothing. It means nothing. Can people tell if we love them? Can they sense it? Like, when you meet someone in the they don't seem too loving. But you can tell the ones that love you. And that's what he says. Beyond all these things, beyond gentleness and kindness, and, and some people are really good with gentleness. Some are good with kindness. But they don't have love. And if you have all those other qualities, but you don't have love, you're missing the biggie, the one the most important. So beyond all these, now beyond means like, Go past those other things to what's the most important. Love. Put on love. And this is the very perfect thing. The perfect bond of unity is love. So love is something that you can actually put on in your life. You wouldn't say put this onto your life if you couldn't do it. But you can. You can put love on in your life. And some people are like, well, I don't know. I don't really feel like it. It doesn't say, if you feel like it, love one another. If you feel like it, forgive one another. If you feel like it, be compassionate to one another or show kindness to one another. It just says, do it. 
When God gives us some instructions, sometimes because of this culture that we're surrounded with, and people say, I just don't feel like doing that. Well, sometimes there's things you don't feel like doing, but you got to do because it's good for you. Like some people, you tell them, hey, you're getting diabetes. you got to quit eating all the sugary stuff, and you got to eat right. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, okay, but you're going to have more troubles, right? They don't want to listen to the things that are good for them. And sometimes people are the same way when it comes to spiritual things that they need to do. And they'll say to me, I don't feel like bearing with that person. They drive me crazy. Or I don't feel like loving that person. I tell them, it doesn't say if you feel like. It just says do it. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to put on love. Now, when you do, listen to the next verse. Verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We need Christ's peace to rule our hearts because otherwise our hearts get all wonky and we get all afraid of things and we get all up and down like a roller coaster with emotions. This is something we were really designed for the peace of Christ to be in our heart. When you greet someone in Hebrew, you say shalom. In Hebrew, shalom means peace, God's peace. So when you greet someone, you say God's peace to you. And if they greet you back, they say back to you shalom, which is and God's peace back to you. Do we need a greeting of peace when we're greeted by people? Yes. But we have to have Christ's peace in our hearts, ruling first, before we're able to like extend that greeting of peace to others. So Paul says, put love on. He doesn't say, if you feel like it. He says, put it on. And then, let Christ's peace rule in your hearts. Now, when you do this, look at this. It says, to which indeed you are called into one body, the body of Christ, and you're called to be thankful. In the next three verses, very interestingly to me, every one of them tells us an instruction to do. The first one says, let Christ's peace rule your heart and be thankful. The second instruction, verse 16, this is Colossians 3.16, and let the word of Christ richly dwell within you and with all wisdom all teaching all admonition admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness with your hearts to god look at verse 17 and whatever you do in word or in deed in other words whatever you say whatever things you do in action do all that you do in the name of the lord do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Give thanks through him to God the Father. So here we are told we got to let his peace be with us. We got to let his word be with us. And now we got to let everything we do, our, all our actions, all that we say, we have to do it all in his name with thankfulness. We have to give thanks. Now, why would three verses of the Bible? all end with giving thanks. Does that seem redundant to you? That every one of these verses says, do this and then give thanks. Do this and give thanks. And do this, everything you do, and give thanks. You're supposed to give thanks in every single thing that you do. So, in all that we do, giving of thanks is really important. I don't think the Bible is a record stuck on a groove keeps jumping back to give thanks, goes around the record again, skips 
kids don't even know what I'm talking about when I talk about using a record for an, an example because they don't have those. But they get stuck. And they think, oh, the Bible is stuck here. It keeps repeating, we should give thanks. I mean, three verses in a row. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Why do you think it says that? Three times in a row. Right in the same passage. Do you think it's important for us to give thanks? To be thankful people? In all that we do, one of the true characteristics of a Christian is that we are people that give thanks. That we're thankful people. It really does change how people perceive us. We're the people that are demanding and self-entitled and we're Christians and they ought to do it right for us because we deserve it. We act like we somehow are owed this great thing of self-respect or whatever. Forget that stuff. Be a thankful person. Just these three verses of one chapter of the Bible, just three verses, all repeat that I have to be a person giving thanks. Over and over, whether... You're talking about Christ's peace being in my heart. I have to give thanks for that. If you're talking about the instructions that I receive from God, the teachings that he tells me, I have to receive those things and sing to him with thankfulness. And whatever I do, whether it's in my actions or with my words, whatever I say, I have to do it all in Christ's name with thankfulness. Christians should be known as the people that are thankful. But are we known as the people that are thankful? Just think about like all of the Christians in America, in in different churches. If you go there, do you go in there and, and feel, wow, this is a really thankful group of people? Or have you ever gone to some church where you feel like, oh, they're really judgmental, or they're really harsh, or those people are really, I don't know what's wrong with those people. And I'm a pastor. I can tell you this does happen. I have been to some churches and I'm gone. oh, they forgot to read this verse. They forgot that everything you do, I mean, even in singing, when you sing songs of praise, you should be singing with thankfulness to the Lord. When we're singing, Lord, I thank you. I really thank you. We should be thankful because people can tell. And when they come in and they see us being thankful to God as we sing praises, then they go, wow, what's the deal? I want that. Look how happy they are. Look, at they have something I don't have. And this is where all of these admonitions really come to fullness in our life, where they mean something if we let thankfulness be part of our lives. We become a people with that attitude of gratitude. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, CelebrateTheLord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. Lord's been good to Abraham Lord's been good to me Lord blessed him and blessed all the family And he's gonna do the same for me Lord's been good to Moses Lord's been
that's the way it's gonna be Lord's been good to Joshua Lord's been good to me Lord led him into the land of promise And he's gonna do the same for me Do the same for me.